Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I don't have the same heart for people who end up being my enemy as Paul had. Paul has this for the people that are making his life a nightmare. These Jews are following him around and they're harassing his ministry and the work that he's doing. And Paul says, I want to be damned that they might live. Chances are pretty good that you come in contact every day with someone who does not know Jesus and, let's be honest, is headed for hell. It is no coincidence that you've been placed in that person's life, in their path, with a purpose, to tell them about the only one who can save them from perishing. As we listen to part two of our message out of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 11 through 20, may God give us all a heart for those who do not know Him, that we truly would be light and salt. Here's Robert Furrow. Live your life for Christ and realize it doesn't happen overnight. As you live your life for Jesus, I worked in a shop, it was an auto shop. We did vinyl tops and convertible tops and put in radios and cruise controls and pinstriping and, and um, molding on the side of cars. We did all of those kind of things. Immediately while I started working there, the guys that were there, they were typical, typical shop guys, all right? Those of you that work in a shop, you know what I'm talking about. I'm working on a car, they're next to me, they're telling dirty jokes. So I make a mistake and I tell them, listen guys, listen, could you do me a favor? Tell those dirty jokes somewhere else because I don't want to hear them, okay? I tell them that, that's what I tell them. Now some of you guys who work in a shop, you go, oh no. <laughs> because you know now they told their dirty jokes to me, right? They would yell across the shop, hey Robert, did you hear? And they'd tell their dirty joke. They were harassing me. They knew that I was the youth pastor in Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. Uh, I've shared with you before, every Friday night they would gather together behind the shop and start drinking. Friday night was their party night, so they would start drinking before they would leave. And every Friday night I would be walking by them, I'd say, see you guys later, and they would toss me a beer. I would catch the beer and I would toss it back to them. It was our ritual. And one, of the guys, one guy said to me, listen, every Christian that's ever worked here has gotten drunk with us. And before you leave, we're going to have you get drunk with us. So I just continued to throw the beer back to them when they would throw the beer to me. I was able to share with the vast majority of them, anybody that worked there for any amount of time, I was able to share with them at a certain time when things were right. But there was one guy who was particularly tough. He was crude and he was hard. He was witty and he was kind of the leader. And he constantly attacked. And I was sick to death of him. <laughs> I worked there for a year and a half. Well, I built the upholstery section out and I was no longer working with those guys. So I had my own crew. I had guys working for me. I, I headed up the upholstery department for them. So I had all the guys working under me and I no longer worked with those guys. So the year and a half is almost done. I'm about ready to leave. And um, this guy comes back to my section, the most obnoxious guy that was there. And he says to me, um, hey, Robert, listen, my, uh, my wife gave me divorce papers yesterday and um, I just don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I, I was able to share Christ with him a year and a half later. Don't grow impatient. You think, I'm living my life in front of them and nothing's happening. This guy just hates me. This guy hates me because I'm a Christian. He mocks me. That's what this guy was about. He was about mocking me because of my faith but in a deep moment of his need, he was drawn to Jesus. 
And it wasn't because of me. It was because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Be patient as you live your life for Christ. Now, I had said, do you want to? Do you want to be used by God for that? Do you want to shine for Christ? Are you about living for yourself? Well, the Bible says we're to die for ourselves and live for him. Okay, so do you want God to use you? You know how much Paul wanted God to use him this way? So much so that Paul breaks out in a song of praise. As Paul says this, God has given me mercy so that I could be a pattern to those that are going to give their lives by believing in Jesus. And then in verse 17, he says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. Amen. That's an early song. That's an early church song. Paul breaks out probably his favorite worship song. When I first came back to the Lord when I was 19 years old, there was a song that was out called Beautiful. It quickly became my favorite. You guys have a favorite song? When these guys start singing it, you guys go, yeah. I like that song. This one was, the words of it were beautiful, beautiful. Jesus is beautiful. And Jesus makes beautiful things of my life. I used to wait for that song. There was another one called, You Are My Hiding Place. That was an awesome song. And I used to sit and wait for it. A few years later, as a deer pants for the water came out, I loved it. A few years later, um, uh, how lovely is your dwelling place? Oh, Lord Almighty. I just loved it. And I think of Paul and he's thinking about his life being used and, and he just starts worshiping. And what a great worship song this would be too, wouldn't it? You know, unto the king immortal, unto the king eternal, unto the king invisible. You could write this down. The only wise God. <laughs> the only wise God. I mean, I'd love for us to worship with that, wouldn't you? So Paul breaks out in it, but he breaks out in it. Why? Not because he's being led in worship, but because he's so excited that his life is used to save someone from hell. That his life is used to save someone from perishing. Paul said in Romans, this is an amazing thing. It's one of the most amazing things I think Paul ever said. Paul said in Romans, talking about his enemies, not talking about his family and friends, but talking about his enemies. I wish that I could be damned to hell so that they could be saved. Paul says, I would give up my salvation and I would go to the place where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out, where people are destroyed and perish if they could be saved. Now, I got to be honest with you. There, I, I would do so for my children. I've thought about this. And I would, for the sake of my kids, I would, I would go to hell if they didn't. For the, my family, same thing. For my enemies, not on your life. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest with you now. I don't have the same heart for people who end up being my enemy as Paul had. Paul has this for the people that are making his life a nightmare. These Jews are following him around and they're harassing his ministry and the work that he's doing. And Paul says, I want to be damned that they might live. Paul had a love for the lost. He had a passion for souls. And we see it here again when Paul thinks about his life being used as an example. He gets exuberant so much so that he begins to praise and worship God. And it's an awesome spot here in the scriptures. And now he turns to what I've called the future. 
as he now talks to Timothy about how he's supposed to live. He says, this I charge, it's a command, it's an encouragement. This I charge, I commit to you, son Timothy. Very personal, son. Remember, Paul's not Timothy's dad, but he's his dad in the faith. And so he calls him son. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now let's talk a moment about prophecy. He says, by the prophecies previously given to you. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to the church. And I believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit is still given to the church today. There are those that believe it was only given to the first generation before the Bible was written. And then when the Bible was completed, the Holy Spirit was no longer given to the church. I disagree with that. I have a very simple reason for disagreeing with it. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says this. On the day the Holy Spirit was given to the church, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit was given, Peter said, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, who said that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh from generation to generation. So the exact opposite is said that the Holy Spirit would be poured on from generation to generation. And here we are, a generation in the future, and God's still pouring His Holy Spirit out upon us today. Neither do I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are gone or done. I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are what we would call the manifestation of the proof that the, we have been given the Holy Spirit are still at work in us. Which means that some of you have the gift of prophecy. Now, prophecy is when you receive a word for someone else. It could be a word for a large group of people. In other words, there are certain times that I believe that God gives me something kind of beyond his word or enlightening to his word that I think is a message for you from God. That could be prophecy. It could also be when God lays upon your heart something to tell me. Maybe you have the gift of prophecy and you feel like, boy, I really need to just go share this with Pastor Robert. I really need to tell him that God told me this for him. Maybe you've even pushed it off and not wanted to do that. And if it's weird and bizarre, then please don't. But if it really is from God, then I want to hear it. Because here's what the Bible says about prophecy. Two things that it tells us. Number one, don't despise it. And it's easy to start despising prophecy. Not because you don't want to hear what God has to say, but because people give false prophecies. I, as a pastor, 27 years now, I have had so many people come up to me and say, God told me to tell you, or they come up to me with a more dramatic, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> and when they do, I cringe a little bit because I've heard so many bizarre things. In fact, just a few weeks ago, a lady came up and she gave me a prophecy, the whole thus saith the Lord thing. And I told her, all right, well, I'm going to judge the prophecy. She got angry at me. She goes, don't, don't, you, don't you're not supposed to judge me. No, but I can judge the prophecy. Just because you say it's from God, I don't have to believe it. I don't know a lot of the people who say, who give prophecies. So the Bible says, don't despise them. And I got to tell you though, when people come up and say, in a, in a humble way generally, because that really prideful way has a tendency to turn me off. I think it does anybody. Anybody that walks up and goes, I get prophecies from God and I'm here to tell you what God told me to tell you. It's kind of like, back it down a little bit, all right? Come up humbly. Listen, I, I, I think God gave me this for you. What you're saying when you say, I think, or I believe God gave this, you're saying, I could be wrong, but I believe God gave it. And I want to be obedient and giving you what I think God gave me. That there's a humility to that. And I tell you what, you'll be received a lot more 
if you come in that kind of humility. And the same thing with receiving them. You want to receive in humility. When someone begins to tell me that they have a word from the Lord, I get a little excited. I get a little apprehensive. I get apprehensive because of all the weird things I've been told. I get excited because sometimes people have given me words that I know are from God. And when someone says, I've got something for you from the Lord, I want it to be from God. And I say to people sometimes on the spot, I receive it. You know what? I receive what you've just said to me from the Lord. When I was 20 years old, the church I attended was a four square church. It was a part of the, it's part of the Pentecostal movement. And uh, they had a prophet that came on, on Sunday night and shared. They would have special speakers on Sunday night. They had a prophet that came and shared. His name was Brother Beard. I still remember his name. And uh, he gave his little teaching. And afterwards he was doing the prophetic thing. He was walking out into the crowd and he was making people stand up and then giving them prophecies. Well, he had me stand up. He didn't know me from Adam. Okay, by the way, he has me stand up. And he says, I believe that God is going to use you in business. And then you're going to go to another town and you're going to start a church. Now, I liked that at the moment because all my friends were with me. Did you guys hear that? God's going to use me in business and then he's going to use me to start a church. However, they weren't too impressed with it. And I soon forgot about it. I didn't go on in business because of that. I did go on in business for seven years. I owned upholstery shops before I came out and started the church. When we came out and started the church, we started it with six people in 1985 and God has blessed it tremendously. But during the 27 years that we've been here, there have been a few times that have been very difficult. The majority of, of being the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Tucson has been full of joy, has been unbelievable. You guys are awesome to lead and minister to. Your hunger for the word, your excitement, it's awesome. But there have been a few times when those close are in the church and on, oftentimes it's been a betrayal by, by someone that's painful. There have been a couple of times where it's really hurtful. And at one particular hurtful time and um, there's someone just kind of trying to grab control of the church and it was just a painful time. I remember saying to God, you know what? I'll just go. I'll just leave. I'll, I'll just go. I don't care. I'll just go do upholstery. I'll do it. I don't care. And the Lord spoke to me and just reminded me of that prophecy. In other words, God was saying to me, you're supposed to be here. This isn't you deciding to do this. It didn't just happen by you. I told you before it happened that it was going to happen. And during those difficult times, I lean back on that. I know I am where God wants me to be. That's how God used prophecy in my life. Now, the second thing it says about prophecy is, first of all, it says don't despise it. And you can see why I don't want to despise it. I want to hear from God if God gives you something for me. But the second thing it says is let one prophesy and let the others judge. That means we have a right to judge it. So if somebody comes to you bringing a prophecy that obviously isn't true, you don't got to receive it. You can go, I don't believe it. And you're not receiving it by doing that. Had a guy come to us 26 years ago now. And after a Thursday night study, we didn't do Wednesday night services, then we did Thursday night. And after the Thursday night study, he came up to me and said, thus says the Lord, okay, that kind of a moment. And he says, you will not be a church in six months. And then he wanted to tell me why. Because you're, and he started, I said, wait, 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 just a minute. I said, listen, why don't you come back in six months and a day? And if we are no longer a church, then I'll listen to whatever you have to say to me. If your prophecy is correct, then I'll listen to anything you have to say because you were right. You prophesied it and God shut our church down. So I'll listen to whatever it has to say. But 
if you come back in six months and a day and we're still here, then will you listen to what I've got to say? And he said, oh, yes, I'll be back in six months. Never saw him again. <laughs> now, obviously, it's been a lot longer than six months. So people, for their own purposes, bring prophecies that they claim to be from God. And so you've got to judge them. You don't just openly accept them. You don't despise them. You're open to them, but you've got to be able to judge them. So along those lines, Timothy had received some prophecies. Read it again. Look at verse 18. This charge I command to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage good warfare. Know that God has this plan for you. You're, uh, he wanted to leave Ephesus. That's why Paul's told him twice now, don't leave in chapter one. And he says, these are the prophecies for you. Then wage good warfare by those prophecies that have been given. Then he says, having faith and a good conscience, having faith, believing God, believing the unseen, moving forward and doing what you're supposed to do, even though you don't see it, faith and a good conscience. A good conscience is having things right between you and God. Do you have things right between you and him? Or is there unconfessed, unrepented sin in your life? If you have unconfessed and unrepented sin in your life, then you don't have a good conscience before God. And the enemy is going to be able to attack you because of that sin. If you are involved, you're unmarried and involved sexually with someone, you're never really going to be able to do what God's called you to do because you don't have a good conscience before God. Or if you have some other sin in your life that you, um, you're, you're getting drunk and you're, you say, I'm a Christian, I can do... You don't have a good conscience before God. Repent, turn from those things. Repent means to turn away from them. Do what you got to do to get out of those situations so you can have a good conscience before God. Otherwise, the enemy is going to be able to tear you up always. God will never really be able to use you because the enemy is going to get a hold of your conscience and shake it, right? And so he says, um, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. So there's those that have rejected a good conscience. No, I don't need to. I, I can still be involved physically with her because this is true love. I know we aren't married, but we have an exemption in our case because it's true love. There's no exemption for you. True love is doing what you need to do before God. True love is getting your hands off of her, allowing God to work in your lives and then getting married if it's really true love and then going to town. Because God created it, right? Am I right? It's not off limits. It's just off limits when it's done the wrong way. <laughs> Having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and suffered shipwreck. These guys that didn't have a good conscience and didn't have faith and they're not fighting a good warfare, they're shipwrecked. Years ago, Odin Fong wrote a song called Sail on Sailor. You guys familiar with it? Maybe some of you guys old Christians are. And uh, he talked about our lives being like a boat that's sailing on the ocean and we need to sail on for him. Well, we are sailing on for him, but unfortunately some of us have been shipwrecked. We, through not having faith, through not having a good conscience, our ships have been wrecked and that's a possibility. We don't want to be shipwrecked. And Paul's saying to Timothy, listen, have faith, have a good conscience, wage a good warfare so that you are not shipwrecked. He knew that there was a possibility that Timothy could shipwreck his life. And so he said, make sure that you do these things so you don't do that. And now he names a couple guys that are shipwrecked. We don't know a lot about them. It says in verse 20, of whom are Harmonius and Alexander, 
who I have delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, a couple of things about Harmonius and Alexander. Number one, we don't know anything else about him except what's written here. There's a lot of speculation. I spent, I don't know, half hour, 20 minutes, half hour yesterday reading about these guys and people speculating because I just wanted to know, did anybody find something that tells us more of what they did? And they, there wasn't, it was all speculation, which is a waste of time to me. I don't like to speculate. I don't want to spend a lot of time in this message going, they might've done this, they might've done that, they might've done this because they might not have as well. So why do we spend all that time talking about it? I think we're pretty confident to say that Arminius Alexander didn't have faith, that they didn't have a good conscience and that they didn't wage good warfare because that's the text. That's what the text says. Secondly, these guys did something that was so bad that Paul delivered them over to Satan. From time to time, we've had to remove some people from the church. We've had to remove some people from the church for various reasons. They were either trying to draw people over to themselves. There were our guys that, and often this happens, I don't to say often, but it happens pretty regularly, where guys start to come to the church and it becomes evident that they're just coming to try to get some of the girls that are at the church and it comes to our attention and we have to remove them. It's kind of like, you know, a wolf report. You got to get them out. We're shepherds. We get our crooks out and get away, get away, get away. Get away from the sheep. So we get them away. And we've removed several people from the church. But never have we delivered them to Satan. Ever. We've never felt that the person did such a bad thing that we had to deliver them to Satan. These guys did such a bad thing. They had to be delivered over to Satan. We certainly don't want to ever be shipwrecked. And it goes on to say that they would learn not to blaspheme. So obviously, Harmonius and Alexander were blasphemers in one way or another. But Paul's encouragement to him is to wage that good warfare. And that's where I want to end our study today. You've been called by God to go out into the world, to live as an example for him, to wage good warfare. And if somehow you don't have a heart for souls, if somehow you don't care that your family's perishing, that your parents or your aunts or your uncles or your friends or the people you work with or your children don't have a relationship with God and they're perishing, may God give you that heart. May you cry out to God for those that are lost. May you call out to his name because God listens to prayers and prayers change destinies. And may you live your life not for your sake, but may you live your life for Christ for the sake of those who are around you. May you walk in holiness and purity and faith and a good conscience for the sake of those who are lost and perishing and be patient. If the Lord tarries, it may take years. It may be a decade. It may be two decades. But eventually, they are going to see Christ in you. And God answers those prayers and God moves on our behalf. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for this text. It's powerful. We thank you for that we can see the heart of Paul who would suddenly break into a song while he's writing unto the king immortal. Lord, we call out upon your name, the invincible, the invisible. We pray that you would allow us to live our lives in such a way that people around us would see Christ in you, the hope of glory. We look for you to stir us up, that we would live for you. We pray for those around us who don't know you for those that are on their way to hell, to eternal separation from you. And we pray that you would rescue them. God, save them, bring them out of that destiny that they could live for you. 
We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.